as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I noticed while reading the chapter was that mm-hmm. uh, she is not actually doing it out of philanthropy as well. Okay. Because uh, when she is talking to Emma and she says that even if we help people like Emma, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, even if we help people like Jane Fairfax, there won't be much of a, you know, it won't incur uh, any sort of uh, heavy view on their wealth because the amount of wealth they have is enormous. So they can go about doing charity like this. And uh, also, tied into it is this notion of, you know, uh, when we were making remarks yesterday about uh, this act being about uh, legitimizing her position in the aristocracy or showing that uh, showing her wealth as well. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was, Marx or no Marx, right? 
yeah when you have the peasant revolts right like we are having the farmers revolt in india today right yeah so that's something that is very pronounced from the time of richard the third right so it's not that you don't have these kind of struggles that has been have been seen right one secondly when we're talking about it uh the idea of the lower classes right uh probably they don't have a voice right they're not organized they're not come together right but the unions have already been there for a long time in the history of england right so from the time of chaucer or even before that right but what you have is you have the union and all that is formed and uh, by the time of uh, edward the third right yeah and after that you have the idea of the stable you have a stable kind of government a stable kind of price of things and uh, that's a kind of a regulatory me- mechanism which we are talking about today surprisingly in india right yeah when the with the farmers agitation we are talking about a minimum support price this was ha- what happened in england in this uh, 13th and the 14th centuries right so uh, it's not is not that there is no class struggle right but we don't see all that and is not depicted in the novel in many ways right so it's it's largely a middle class novel when you talk about the poor right you're at most talking about the bases right yeah and you don't talk about the the horseman uh, the the person who james is the person who drives the carriage we don't even know the other people's names right yeah so he drives the carriage and the horses so he's a he's carriage uh, in charge right so what happens to him what happens to all the servants we get references to all the household helps right uh, we don't get any references to cooking right and that's why i think your on your question is a very insightful and a very deep question because we don't get an insight into cooking we don't get any other women saying that they know how to cook right they talk about the steak steak being uh, or the the pork being sent to the bases right yeah but we don't have anything about uh, culinary stuff right yeah which is a uh, marked absence right even though you have dinner you don't talk about uh, what goes on for dinner right so dinner is not important right and small talk is right so that's one right now when you're talking about marks and how does marks come right marks comes after long history of class taking place right yeah because uh, the feudal system is almost at the end in the time of chaucer right yeah you already have the the plague and the wars in europe and the holy wars if you want right which uh, again have raised the head as against christianity against islam that's again something that's extremely old which have come up which has come up again right and of course today it's this whole idea of islamophobia which is uh, taking over right yeah but what happens is those are the wars and it's not only there but you have the 100 year war if you talk about st john right yeah so when we're talking about history we're talking about all these things in feudal europe you had all these wars right you have already uh, in the uh, 12th century you already have uh, that's the time of richard the uh, henry the second right you already have a problem over the church and state and the secular and the religious right and you want the world to be you're talking about the state and the religion being separate right 
So that's already happening, right? Yeah, these are things that we have not seen in India. Today it's become a problem, right? Yeah, today, of course, we saw it when uh, we had partition. Now again, it's raised its ugly head and is dividing the country, right? Yeah, and of course, that was done by external forces, right? It's just because of the British and the British idea of history and all these kind of things that happen. That's what we have. I'll answer your question. I'll just finish with Dingy Wit. Yeah. So, uh, at one level, they're talking about the upstarts, right? Yeah. And it's not about money. Yeah. When you talk about somebody as an upstart, it's not about money, but it's, a, it's about a, you coming to the same status and you have a problem with them, right? It's like, uh, sorry to give a very bad example, but I think that's something that will throw it into, uh, into perspective, right? When you have a person from the scheduled caste coming up and becoming your colleague or your classmate, right? What are the kinds of comments that they get? I think we should think of it, think of it from that position, right? Yeah. So they actually say that, well, this person doesn't need to be here, but they've come here because of the reservation policy, right? Yeah, and that's not about money. Yeah, it is about money in one level because you can't separate caste and class, right? The, the, the caste system has actually taken the trouble to see that people are uh, without any kind of monetary gains, right? Some people have come up in spite of that, right? Yeah, and then when you talk about the Dalit, you say, well, after all, what is he? He's a Dalit, right? Okay, and that's the way of saying that well, we have tradition, we have culture, we have all these attributes which only time can give and that's because of our birth, which is what we call the fascist order according to Kaufman, right? Kaufman is talking about uh, uh, the man before the law in Kafka's castle, right? And he's actually saying that when we're talking about this idea of fascism, it means by the very birth you are damned, right? Which is a long tradition. Before the word fascism came in, we've already had these traditions in India, right? You're damning people before their birth, right? Whether it's a Brahmin or it's a, a Dalit, or, or what we call a Dalit today, or a lower caste, or whatever you call it, or a, a, a Adivasi, the idea is still fascist, right? Yeah? And of course, uh, my uh, uh, professor and head of the department of North Gujarat University was a hardy scholar, right? Uh, used to say, well, the caste system is even worse than fascism, right? Yeah, but actually that's, I wouldn't uh, uh, say that. Yeah, yes, it's true, because you've maintained it for 3,000 years, right? Uh, fascism can't last more than 20 or 30 years at most, right? Yeah, but the, the mentality of fascism is lasting, if it's lasted for 3,000 years in India, that means we need to get a copyright on that, right? Yeah, and like we have Yoga Day, we should also have Fascism Day, right? And celebrate ourselves as keeping a fascist kind of tradition alive, which the caste system is, right? Yeah, of course it might be worse than fascism, it might be not so as bad as fascism, all that kind of thing you might like to think about, right? Yeah, so when we're talking about the idea of... Uh, uh, Augusta, uh, what's her name? Uh, Elton, right? Yeah. At one level, uh, I don't buy your idea that she's only shown in a bad light, right? When she's talking about women, 
Okay, I'm talking about standing up for herself, uh, standing up for the sex, okay, or people of the sex. You see, she and Jane have the same kind of thoughts, right? And that's the internal kind of dialogue which goes on, right? She makes a statement about Selena, but at, actually, at the same time, she says, no, uh, well, should I have not called her a fine lady, right? Yeah, so this idea of the lady and the woman is already there, but it's not articulated as we do today in modern uh, Marxist feminism, right? Yeah, so that's one, right? And the idea of uh, the idea of the Norway rich or the new rich and the person who has come to power, right? So that's in all cultures. And if you see the past, the class struggle, that's where you see the class struggle, right? Yeah, you don't see it. Uh, and it's also cultural, right? The idea of cultural is more subtle, right? Because it's at many different layers, right? And that's what you see, right? That here you have Jane Fairfax who doesn't have money, right? But has culture, right? Which is not normally the case, right? Because culture and money come together, right? But here we have a person who's deprived, okay? It's a, a kind of an inverse kind of relationship when we talk about India. Because in India you have the Brahminoist culture, right? Okay, or some kind of culture, or supposed to have culture, right? And it doesn't have money, right? So that's the understanding, right? But it's it's a longer kind of complicated system here in India where uh, the Brahmins provided everything, but you don't have uh, capital, right? Or deprived from capital and all these things, but food and education and culture are provided, right? In the West, a similar kind of thing happens with the people of the church, right? Uh, it's not in the Chaucerian uh, uh, day, but it's about the 16th, 17th century when the church gets more united, right? So you have different orders like the Benedictines and the Augustines and the Jesuits and the and different uh, uh, congregations of nuns, right? So they get established, they get formed, all those kind of things happen, right? They don't have to worry about where the money comes from, right? Or some of them are not allowed to work, right? Like you have the poor Clares, uh, who is an organization of nuns, who are not allowed to work. They're only supposed to pray, right? And when they don't have food, they're supposed to ring the bells loudly and people go and give them food, right? So you might like to look at all those kind of aspects because it's not so easy to talk about culture, right? Yeah, so at one level, yes. Uh, Augusta Westland, uh, Augusta uh, Elliot stands out as a sore thumb, right? She's a loud woman, right? These are all the kinds of high culture that the British are talking about, right? Though it's uh, faced in something called a middle class England, right? So I don't know if uh, these things matter, but I'm, I'm very happy with your question, right? And it's definitely not a BA question at all, right? But it's very good that you're thinking, yeah, yeah. So I that's important, and uh, it's actually asking about culture, right? At one level, right? And the idea is uh, Marx is trying to formulate the idea of the class, right? Marx doesn't finish the project. That's a project that Marx begins, right? So when Marx writes Capital and writes all these things that he writes, right? And he writes about this, uh, the middle class, all this kind of. Uh, issues that come up, right? Uh, he's talking much after a lot of capitalism has already taken place. Okay, uh, just remember when we're talking about uh, 
Jane Austen, right? Uh, and we're talking about the year of Jane Austen's birth, you already have Adam Smith writing The Wealth of Nations, right? And if there is no Adam Smith, there's no Marx. That's, of course, my, the Marxists get very angry with me when I say this, right? Because Marx is talking back to Adam Smith, right? In a typical thing that Hegel would talk about, right? Yeah? And Hegel would be the one who formalizes the idea of the dialectic, right? Now, if you don't have a capitalist world and a capitalist mode of production, how do you have Marx, right? So Marx is not saying, get rid of capitalism, no. Okay, he's talking about all the things that are happening within capitalism and he's talking to the capitalist system, right? Yeah, so you might uh, like to think about that because, and this is, again, we're talking about a person in the university, right? A person who sits in the British Library and writes uh, his Das Kapital and everything and his table is still there. If you go to the British uh, Library in uh, London, you'll see it, right? Yeah, so... Uh, how much does it actually go into activity is another question, right? Yeah, and what is interesting about Marx is that Marx is not only this uh, uh, ivory tower philosopher who's writing his stuff, but he actually goes and gets involved in the Paris Commune and all those kind of things, right? When these people called uh, communists come up, right? And a person says that, uh, he's a communist who's supporting Marx and all that kind of thing. Marx says, I'm not a Marxist. Right? Yeah. So that's something that's important. Right? So you might like to look at all that. And uh, it's not very easy to talk about Marxism, especially at this rate. Because you have people like Jameson, who's talking about postmodernism and Marxism. Right? And uh, I think that is something important. And when we talk about this thing called postmodernism, there are other scholars like Patricia Waugh, and uh, others who say that uh, actually this is the age, the romantic age is the one of the age where you talk against the idea of the enlightenment, right? Yeah, so it's not when you finish modernism, you begin postmodernism, right? For them, the idea of modernism begins somewhere in the 12th and 13th century, right? When you get clocks, when you get a train, when you get all the industrial revolution, when printing happens, that's when the modernist project begins, right? Yeah, and the romantic is a critique of the idea of this kind of scientific uh, rationality, right? So that's uh, that's how other people keep looking at the idea of the postmodern, right? So at one level, if you took look and locate Jane Austen, she's at the level of the idea of the postmodern, right? Okay, uh, so they're actually critiquing it, right? And you have people who are critiquing. Uh, uh, Rousseau, right? Or Rousseau is also a critique of the Enlightenment, though he's an Enlightenment man, right? Yeah, and he's called the father of Romanticism. Where is it from, right? Because he's still talking against the Enlightenment, right? Yeah, uh, he would probably be very shocked, right? Because uh, does he understand that the French Revolution and Romanticism come out of him, right? Uh, so I don't know if I've answered you, but then. Uh, we are taking this idea of looking at, uh, uh, yeah, and when we are talking about the class struggle and you, you use the word intrusion, right? Intrusion into the life of Jane Fairfax, right? Yeah, so you already get this kind of very conservative culture you have in the novel coming out of something called the uh, Enlightenment England, okay, or... People say, well, England didn't have really an enlightenment. 
people say that England didn't have really a, a neoclassical kind of system of uh, yeah, but you get these ideas of neoclassical ideas from people like Dryden and uh, uh, that whole generation, Pope, Dryden, Johnson, all those kind of things. At least in writing, they were, would be neoclassical, right? Yeah, and uh, that is something that would happen, and it's also called the Age of Enlightenment, right? Yeah, so we are talking about an age after that where some of these ideas are already there, right? Uh, when we are talking about Hegel and ideas, that's a simplification of what happens in life, right? So when you talk about the thesis and the thesis and synthesis, right? So that's a university person studying how the, uh, the, uh, the dialectic works, right? On the ground, there are many things happening together, right? Yeah, so you might have uh, a very old idea that you have in uh, religion, right? And that's uh, religion doesn't change very much, very soon but it changes eventually, right? So you might have a very old idea in religion and you might have a new idea which is contradicting something in the political, right? Or you might have a new idea in medicine, right? Because the human being is full of all these different kind of factors, right? So we have education, we have religion, we have, uh, we have the political, we have things like the post office, okay? A new thing coming in, right? Somebody fighting the older system where you have hand-delivered letters, Okay, the idea of writing, okay, so we can't, so Hegel is saying, well, uh, we can take the Hegelian dialectic if we want to apply it, right, and we can, like Marx does, when he talks about capital, he's talking about the Hegelian dialectic, and how does, uh, so that becomes a materialistic dialectic, right, yeah, now when you talk about the cultural dialectic, then it's more complicated, right, because you get uh, bits and pieces of culture, which are very, very old, which resurface, right? Uh, and it resurfaces as a kind of reaction to immediately earlier culture or maybe two generations ahead, uh, behind uh, the present, right? So you get all those kind of contradictions and when we're talking about uh, uh, culture, right? These things are not uh, something that's straight, right? And why do we study literature and culture studies? It's precisely because of this, right? Because you can see the forms of writing, you can see the expression of writing, you can actually have an account of a written document about the time or the time before it, right? Yeah, which and the ideas that are going on, right? And you can see how society operates, right? So this is very much like your uh, uh, restoration comedy, right? Yeah, and you might like to look at it and have a laugh, right? And at the same time, you also, uh, yeah, so how much of it is really tragic? Yeah, up till uh, up till two uh, uh, volumes of the book, right? You don't have any real tragedy, right? How many people do you see dying? How many people do you see suffering, right? Yeah, and how many of your uh, class, uh, different classes do you see? When they are talked about, they are eliminated, right? So the idea is that a lot of fiction writers also write about their own class. Right? So that's again a criticism which you'll find about Dickens, right? And Dickens is also talking about his own class, right? Yeah. So how does it okay? So a writer is limited, though you might be uh, the omniscient narrator and all those kind of things, unless you're very well read and uh, very well mixed in society, you won't be able to talk about everything. Yeah. So yes, what you have done is something important when we are talking about fiction. 
right? Or when we're talking about an author and the author's point of view, right? We have some limitations, right? Or many limitations, in fact, right? Yeah, and the author is not God, right? Yeah, because we normally like to give that kind of status uh, uh, to authors and we think uh, authors as omniscient and knowing everything, yeah? Maybe they know a little more than us, maybe not, right? So that that's something that uh, you might get with a lot of modern authors who are not even, uh, not that Jane Austen and all were university people, but they had access to reading and uh, all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and what is interesting is the insight, right? Like for instance, you have two people in the text, uh, that's what I like about the text, right? Two people in the text who are observing up other people, one is Knightley and the other is Emma, right? They're very cautious about watching what is going on, right? And what is interesting is we are watching them, watching other people and making their comments, right? So that's the kind of position that we place ourselves as, as the readers, right? Yeah, and we're actually watching the dynamics of what's happening in their world and their society, right? Uh, look at Knightley's reactions with Emma and commenting on what Emma is saying about other people, right? And uh, the, the the kind of dialectic which is taking place between Emma and I, right? Yeah, so that's something that's interesting, right? Uh, yeah, and the kind of ideas that he has and this idea of age, right? Yeah, you have a 10 year gap at least between Emma and uh, Knight, uh, George Knightley, right? Yeah. So that's something else that happens because uh, by the act, by the end of Act Two, you have the growth of the character, which has changed quite a bit, right? And interestingly, uh, this man called Knightley says, "Well, in about one and a half year, uh, I've seen that you have changed, right? Yeah. So now somebody is talking about change, right? And uh, the idea of change implies growth, right?" For the better or for the worse, that's all, but uh, we all change, right? So is it because of growth? Is it because of recession? That's a question, right? But when we talk about human life, we're talking about something called change and change happening, right? And uh, you have a difference, okay? And that's what we do today. We're talking about difference, right? How is it different, right? You moved away from one kind of being to another, right? But over here, you have... Uh, this idea of reflection, right? Emma is going back and reflecting, right? The novel is uh, reflecting on what happens to Emma. Emma says, well, we don't make the same mistake again, right? Yeah, because we've already made, made this mistake, especially when you talk about, in the next section, you talk about nightly, and uh, you talk about the idea of what happens after the party, how, how does Harriet behave, all those kind of things, right? Yeah, and that's at the next party. Right? Yeah. So you have uh, all those kind of very interesting things that are happening, and the idea of who's leading the dance, who refuses to dance, Elton refuses to dance with Harriet. All those kind of things happen. Right? Now, when you look and the idea of your your question of uh, Mrs. Churchill being an upstart, right? Yeah, they're talking about time. Right? Yeah. And uh, just a little before this, you must have studied this in criticism or even if you have not, you have somebody called Samuel Johnson who's talking about Shakespeare, right? Yeah, and he says, Shakespeare is of a time and of an age, right? Yeah, of all time and of an age, right? So the idea of the universal 
in a limited period of time, right? Yeah, and we're talking about what is a classic, right? So the idea from Johnson onward is something has to be a hundred years old before you call it a classic, right? Now in India we don't have those systems. In Latin America you don't have the system. Old cultures don't have these systems, right? This is a new culture which is coming up and is actually talking about history in hundred-year bits, right? Which is also important because we still use this hundred-year book bit to talk about history from a Cambridge historian perspective, right? If you go to America, everything changes in ten years. So we're talking about time in ten years, right? Yeah, and Natalie talks about one and a half year that you've changed, right? So that's a rapid uh, amount of change, right? So when you look at life, you'll find that from the age of about 12 to the age about for, uh, 12 to 24, let's put it at that, a 12 year period, right? Uh, maybe less, maybe more, that's not watertight, right? The kind of changes that all of us have as human beings, forget about the bodily changes, I'm talking about the mental changes, the political changes, the amount of learning that we do in this period called adolescence, right? Is a lot of changes keep happening, right? Yeah, and then you might be growing up and working. So from uh, maybe up to 24 years studying, but even earlier some people uh, get out, right? Then you experience working and uh, on the kind of framework that you have about the idea of the world, your studying framework, all those kind of things that happen to you, then you start change. Right? Yeah? So the idea of theorizing, I don't think you can say that there was no theorizing. Yeah? Uh, uh, not, to, it may be not like we have today, but they had the philosophers. You have uh, Edmund Burke, right? Uh, you have Human Burke, right? You have Locke, you have Rousseau. All those kinds of people are already theorizing. They are theorizing about childhood, right? Yeah? And in fact, interestingly, there's a children just mentioned over there, that's John and Henry, right? Yeah, that's the children of Isabella, right? And we actually don't uh, have a real experience of what they think and what they say, right? And that's of course very strange because you have Wordsworth and Coleridge who are actually theorizing the idea of children, right? They're theorizing about poetry, they're theorizing about language, they're thinking about all these things, because you have the colonies also taking place and you find people speaking hundreds of different languages, right? Yeah, uh, so, so you have uh, this huge kind of framework which we're talking about, which is very difficult to talk about, right? Yeah, and when we're talking about culture, what aspect of culture, right? You might also see that there's not much mentioned about the dress, right? Yeah, have we been talked about the dress? Okay, there's not much about it. We're talking about carriages, right? We're talking about people walking, right? Uh, so that's something interesting to look that now we actually go back and we say, well, people walk. But we're talking about the post office, which perhaps is still new, right? Okay, the idea of going to the post office and getting your letters, that's a new thing, right? You don't have a postman coming and giving the letters, which you might have uh, a little later. You don't have the milkman coming and giving you milk at the door. We don't have all that. We don't know about it, right? Yeah, there's no mention of the milkman coming and delivering milk, right? Which becomes part of the culture of England uh, maybe a hundred years later, right? Yeah, so all these, uh, I think 
uh, your question is a very interesting question and I hope I've done some amount of uh, justice to it, right? Yeah, and if I've not, uh, you can just tell me where I've not answered it, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Titiksha, you had a question. Yeah, I'm sorry I took so much time, but uh, I had to answer him. Yeah, yes. That's absolutely all right, sir. I think it helped us all. Yeah. Uh, my question was related to, uh, I mean, when I read Emma, yeah. I, uh, am I Yes, am I sir. Adam? Yes, 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 you are. Yeah. Okay, sir. My question was related to uh, something which you said yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I had commented in the comment box how uh, Augusta was comparable with the Emma, yeah. but I had a context in mind in terms of how Emma has uh, sort of appropriated uh, uh, Harriet Smith and in the same way uh, Augusta Hawkins is also trying to appropriate Jay. Even though they come from a different uh, class background, even though they might have different intentions in their mind when they do something like that, um, but inherently it's just something similar. I mean, it, to me it's comparable. So, like, uh, like how can we not compare those two people in that sense is my question. Yeah, yeah, I'd answer the question uh, as a very wicked kind of response, right? Not to you but to the romantic age, right? Yeah, because if you, your, your observation is very good and is very acute, right? Yeah, so you have uh, uh, Emma looking after, uh, the, she's almost like adopting Harriet, right? Not in the economic sense, but taking what you use as taking her under your wing, right? So that's the kind of thing that she does and she's actually bossing around with her because she plays with her life, right? Yeah, so she's, she's got this, and that's really terrible about Emma, right? Yeah, and uh, if Emma is the protagonist uh, for most of the two parts of the novel, right, then Augusta is the antagonist who is new, right? And uh, an intrusion, using Dick Vijay's word, an intrusion on this uh, Hartfield kind of culture, right? Yeah. And of course, when we're talking about this, we have looked at the romantic also, and I'm keeping in mind uh, Northrop Fry's analysis of uh, Austin and says that Austin is not a romantic, though she lives in the romantic age, right? And I don't know, I think that's a lot of work to be done to talk about the idea of the romantic, right? Yeah, so when you raised your question, I was thinking of... Uh, uh, this Leech Gatherer poem by William Wordsworth, right? Yeah, and William Wordsworth is doing the same thing, right? Yeah, he's, uh, so he's, he's going, and the idea of equality and the French Revolution, right? Yeah, so that's, that's something, and maybe I've not thought about it, and I've not read enough about it, right? I haven't read Burke and Hume, right? But, uh, oh, very, very little, slight little bits of it, which, uh, I don't know whether it's good enough to answer, right? But the answer maybe you will find in Burke and Hume, right? The, the idea is that the French Revolution happens, right? 
So, Adigveje, uh, your class struggle has already happened in Europe, right? And the English are trying to contain that, right? That's the response to the French Revolution if you want to be Hegelian, right? Yeah, they're actually trying to see that that doesn't happen in England, right? Of course, in England, you have had a number of revolts, you've had a number of re uh, rebellions, right? But the idea of a revolution where you knock off all that it is and change everything, right? Something that we're going through in India just now, right? Yeah, so uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, Burke and Hume prevent uh, England from getting into, right? Yeah, so maybe you'll get your answer over there, but the idea is, yes, uh, Jane actually takes Harriet under her care and Harriet uh, uh, laps it up, right? Now, does uh, Jane Fairfax do that, right? That's a little difference, right? Yeah, Jane Fairfax already has culture, right? Yeah, and Harriet is, is being inducted into the culture, right? We don't know anything about Harriet, yeah? We don't know her parentage, we don't know anything about her, right? Yeah, but we do know a lot about uh, Jane Fairfax, right? We know about her family, we know that the family is from here, and we know that she's already got and got a culture from the Campbells and uh, all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so uh, how do we look at them, right? And when you look, notice her responses to uh, this woman called uh, Augusta Elliot, right? She is in charge of herself. She doesn't fall flat like Harriet. Yeah, and thank you for getting that up because I have not thought about it, right? Yeah, so you, you just look at Harriet and you look at Jane Fairfax and that's very nice that you've done because in literature uh, we actually talk about a foil, right? So you have one person and somebody who looks like the opposite, we put them together and see what's going on, right? Yeah, and coming back to Ding Vijay, uh, what happens is it's not that uh, Augusta is uh, this absolute respectable character, right? You get this idea of a new voice from a new place, right? Yeah, and all the women's movement things that are talked about by Augusta is almost equivalent to what uh, Emma is doing and much better, right? Yeah, standing up for the rights of women and all that is actually much more than Emma is doing. Right? So you get Emma's instinctive reaction and the control or the politeness and you get Emma the very controlled person. Right? Yeah? And Augusta and uh, what's the aunt of Jane Fairfax? Uh, I've forgotten her name. What's the aunt's name? Yeah, you get Pardon? Miss Bates. Uh, Miss Bates, but what's her name? I've forgotten her name. Right? Yeah, anyhow, Miss Bates, right? Yeah, so Augusta Westland, of course, uh, for uh, I don't really remember her name. Yeah, but what happens to her is she is, look at how she's treated. Yeah, so if you say that there's no class struggle, okay, but she doesn't have money, right, and she's a loud mouth, and she doesn't have a position, and she'll, uh, that's how she's talked about by, by Emma herself, right? Yeah, in the earlier parts of the novel, right? So, what happens to her at the end, right? Yeah, so she's given that state, status of a loud mouth. You'll see that uh, about that in uh, the part three of the novel, right? When she doesn't know if she's talked about Mr. Perry's uh, the carriage, right? 
yeah and if she's open her mouth too much and let it out right yeah so you get her as a loud mouth right but she's not a pain because she doesn't have money yeah i'm sorry to put it so crudely right yeah but agasta westland maybe she has money maybe she has not uh, got money yeah but she makes a show about it she talks about maple grove again and again right so she say well maple grove maple grove maple grove right so you have the idea of this person coming in and the idea of that she's never had all this property and that's why she's talking about it, right uh, the idea is of course uh, and it's interesting to see that this is an idea which already around right if somebody has property if somebody has money right if somebody has already a cultural tradition right yeah they don't have to brag about it right somebody who's not on the scene suddenly i get money and i show people that i've got a car right i show people i've got a house right i make a big whack about it right yeah uh, and oh, that's the new rich or the new rich or whatever that is right yeah so that is showing you a class a difference right so the class difference is seen in many many subtle ways it's uh, the class struggle right yeah uh, new money i don't know about new money right because new money would be the people who come to india yeah right yeah the people who come to india the people who go to africa the people who go to ceylon and the colonies right these are the people with new money right and they become a problem uh, you might like to read this uh, thing by mccollin right yeah so uh, we are we are saying that they are newly rich right they might have made money in an honest way they might not have made money in an honest way uh, that's a very very marxist kind of position who is actually done the cheating to become rich right yeah so uh, and the idea of culture is culture comes with time right and how do you get inducted into the culture you can see these people uh, who are getting inducted right you like you see of uh, uh mrs elton right who's got money but doesn't have the sophistication that the people of hartfield have right yeah uh, so that's one right and you might have uh, jane fairfax who's all the sophistication uh, and a little more culture than a number of other people from hartfield have because she's got city culture and uh, that's something considered better right so you can see that where marx is coming from you can see marx analyzing all these things and that's why he's talking about how the middle class imitate the rich and the poor imitate the middle class and how yeah so he's actually making a statement of culture but it's on economic terms i don't know if i've answered your question right yeah uh, is there anything that is still grave or not quite answered tidiksha would you like to say something yeah yeah who else had a question yeah yes yeah finish say what you saying uh,
I mean, Weston got married in the first place, mm -hmm. and there was a void, a hollow void of sorts that Emma had to fill with somebody in terms of just companionship, and she really did not have that idea of doing something for women or anything like that. It was very fickle to me. It seems to um, bring in Harriet because she looks so good and. Having all those ideas in her head that perhaps she could, you know, do that matchmaking uh, pastime of hers. Yeah. And nothing more. No, no, no. But but uh, Harriet is already adopted by her before Augusta Westland comes in, right? Yeah. And uh, it's after the rejection of uh, Elliot, right? Yeah. And after. Uh, she's already uh, thrown out Mr. Martin. Martin? I'm sorry if I got the name wrong. Yeah? Martin. Yeah. Yeah. So, she's thrown him out. Uh, she's got a rejection from this man. She's suffering because of that. Because Emma's experiment, somebody else is suffering. Right? Yeah. So, that kind of uh, dawns on Emma. Right? Yeah. But to say that she's not uh, actually doing the same thing that Augusta Western is doing. She's actually using her as a kind of a prop and she's dominating and bossing around with her, right? That comes across and in more ways than uh, Agasta Westland is doing at least up till the, the second part, uh, second volume of the novel, right? Yeah. So, uh, and of course, you also have the idea that Jane Fairfax uh, is more city bred than even perhaps Agasta Westland and has learned all the games and the tricks of the city and has learned to hold herself, right? Like she won't tell anybody who the letters are from, right? Yeah? And there's a mystery about her, all that kind of thing, but she knows how to handle them, right? Uh, at least very delicately and very sophisticatedly, more sophisticatedly than all the people in Hartfield. That's what I think, at least, right? Yeah, and you might like to think differently. Yeah. What are the other questions that we have? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a better session that we've ever had because it's more important that, yeah. Uh, we also noticed that there is almost no mention of Mr. Elton in Emma's party. Uh, why would that be? Uh, yeah, uh, almost no uh, in Emma's party? No. How do you say that? Yes, so there's this uh, dinner that Ella Woodhouse is to welcome uh, Mrs. Elton, right? Yeah. And there is this is where this topic of Jane Fairfax, Fairfax and this uh, mm -hmm. charity thing comes up. Yeah. So there is very little, I think hardly mm -hmm. one paragraph about Mr. Elton in this yeah. whole yeah. So Which is very strange because Mr. Elton was uh, once one of the side characters yeah. that was talked about and now there is no mention of him at all. That's the focus suddenly shifts to Mrs. Elton. Yes. So, uh, so is this what happens, like, how is marriage as an institution put? Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to be again wicked and terrible. Yeah. Because uh, when I'm talking about the idea of all this, what happens when Princess Diana marries Charles? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what is interesting is, when uh, Diana marries Charles, right, uh, you have this kind of competition 
which is taking place between them, right? Yeah, and in fact, I think they go to Australia because uh, Charles had been uh, brought up in Australia, and uh, he's he's uh, plays some instrument or something like that, right? And something that was not known about Diana, she goes to the piano place, right? Yeah, so that is a kind of competition which might be one of the things that's happening over here, right? Yeah, one. The second is to show that Mrs. Elton is loud, right? Yeah. Uh, now the question is, the, the, the politics of domination works out in different ways, right? Yeah, like for instance, you see Emma dominating Harriet, right? Now, you, the men dominate women, and I'm very happy that you brought up all this thing, right? Because the men dominate women by silence, right? So let the woman talk. It looks as if the woman is, is the center stage. Yeah, let all those things happen. And you notice Mr. Knightley, he is one of the people who hardly talks. And when he talks, he actually says some things that are very insightful, right? Yeah, so the idea is maybe Elton is taking a back seat and lets the wife talk, right? Yeah, because this is a new kind of property that you've got. Right? And the property is active and alive and pushing around the place and doing all these kind of interesting things. Right? So that's something that you might find that it's interesting that uh, Elton and that observation is very important. Right? That Elton is keeping uh, a low profile. Right? Yeah? Because he's a show that, well, this is an acquisition. This is a great acquisition that I've got. Not from this city. Right? Not from even... Uh, uh, Emma's kind of choice, right? But I made my own match, right? And I've come back with this kind of trophy, right? The woman is a trophy, and that's your question about the idea of marriage, right? So one is woman as property, the woman as a trophy, all those kind of things are happening, right? And the idea of the man keeping quiet and letting the woman speak, right? Yeah, because it's of no consequence, he actually has all the power, right? Yeah, in a patriarchal world, he doesn't need to make any of these statements, right? And you notice that most of the men characters are rather quiet, and the very sophisticated women characters, like Jane Fairfax, are not very loud, right? Yeah, and you, you actually see that uh, this woman, uh, Mrs. Bates, Miss Bates, and uh, uh, what's her name, Augusta, are almost together in that, right? Yeah. Uh, that is, Augusta is also very loud, right? But uh, Augusta is loud and uh, maybe very deliberately so, right? She's talking about the equality between and we had something better, right? Yeah, so it's actually saying that, well, Hartfield, right? I've come from a better place, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what she's doing. She's saying, we've got a better thing and I've got something big and I come from a better family and I come from a bigger family. Okay, all this kind of, uh, the idea of having is something that she's very aware of, right? Yeah. And these people who actually have wealth, right, and actually have, uh, are in the same place and a long family lineage and all those things, they don't need to make a whack about it, right? They are, so that's why she's a threat. Going back again to Dick Bridges' question, right? Uh, so, Agassi is kind of a threat because she said, well, I have culture, I have property, I have all these things, and, well, I'm coming to this place, and these people are over here, and they act there's actually an undercurrent of looking at them as rather backward, right? 
Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I've answered your question, right? But you'll see what happens at the ball, right? Yeah. Where you have them asking uh, Mr. Martin, uh, Mr. Elton to dance with Harriet, and uh, he just backs off, right? Yeah. So that's something that you must look at, right? And I think that's when he becomes very prominent, and uh, Harriet's uh, response to that with Emma is something that's even more prominent, right? Because she says, well, I don't care if I meet Elton anymore. I know that he's absolutely rubbish, right? Now, what is she doing? She's doing one thing. She's telling Emma, well, your match was shit, right? Sorry for using all this kind of modern slang. Uh, yeah, she's actually telling her in modern language, what would she say? Your match was shit, right? And I'm very happy that I didn't get married with this man because if I got married with him, we didn't know him, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm getting married to him because I trusted you and you're not even worth trusting about these things because you don't have the experience and you don't have the insight, right? Which is what the novel actually shows us that Jane is growing from her mistakes, right? And the mistakes with fiddling with other people, right? So that's something that you actually find when she's talking to Harriet and she says, well, I don't want to repeat that mistake again and don't get involved with people and don't uh, uh, give your heart out to people and all those kind of things. Yeah, uh, that's when the, the Harriet and the, what's his name? Uh, Churchill, Frank Churchill uh, effect takes place with the gypsies, right? That's in part three, right? And uh, you will uh, notice, Digvijay, uh, coming back to what you were saying, right? You would notice that when you're talking about the gypsies, these are people who don't have anything at all, right? And they become interesting and they become problematic. And the gypsies are actually asking for money, right? And they harass, uh, they harass uh, Harriet. Yes? Yeah? So that's what it is. And she gives them some money and they come and harass her, right? Now the gypsies have been harassed. Uh, of course, there are many of, uh, people who think that they, uh, a lot of them originate from uh, Asia, right? And the language that they speak, Romani, is very much like Hindi, etc. Right? Yeah? So, oh, the people from the other class have already come in. Yeah? Okay? So, what's interesting is, when we're talking about uh, the idea of the gypsies, right? And how the gypsies are kept out of the system, right? Though they're part of the economic system, they are kept out of the system, right? Yes or no? Right? Yeah? And you, you try to deal with them. And they are almost the dangerous kind of people that if they get involved with you, that means you might be ruined, right? And what are the reactions of Harriet to the gypsies, right? Yeah, she all falls uh, into a faint, right? Churchill gets her in, right? The whole idea of the romantic, uh, the medieval romance kind of thing, the knight in shining armor coming and rescuing her from these horrible kind of uh, uh, people called the gypsies who don't have any money and their culture is a different kind of culture, right? And they're, they're being harassed all over, right? I remember a Palestinian friend of mine telling me, oh, you know, the gypsies, they're really terrible, right? So in Palestine, in Israel, uh, all over the whole of Europe, right? The gypsies have been treated very badly. And of course, uh, uh, Hitler killed uh, as many or maybe more gypsies than Jews. Right? Which is something that they don't have 
the Jews have documented their persecution, right? Yeah, which the Armenians have not done, right? Which the Gypsies are not capable of doing, right? I don't know if the uh, Muslims are ever going to be able to document the kind of things that they're facing today, right? Yeah, so that's something to be seen. But what is interesting is the Gypsies haven't documented uh, their culture, okay? Because they don't have all that kind of settled down, settled down, stayed culture. They are on the move, right? Yeah, they keep, uh, they're, the they're the migrants, but they're not migrant workers anyway, yeah, because they have their own system and their own culture, and they take their culture along, and they get gypsies, or they get people from all over the world, yeah, so people join the gypsies, okay, or they fall in love with the gypsies and disappear with the gypsies and run away with them, and all those kind of things that happen to the gypsies, right? So, Today, there's a big talk about gypsy culture, right? Yeah, and you have an international conference of gypsies, right? Yeah, and they don't have any way of fighting back uh, to what uh, Europe has done to them, right? The Jews might talk about how Europe has behaved to them, right? But what do the gypsies do, right? Uh, yeah, so the idea of marriage, yeah, and uh, that's where you, you ask your question about marriage and the institution of marriage, right? So for the Gypsies, all these things like the Institute of Marriage doesn't probably exist. They just hang around together and maybe have a lot of sexual relationships among the, the kind of people they have, right? And they have a lot of uh, children, okay? And uh, so it's very similar to other kinds of cultures where you have incest is not a problem, right? Yeah. So maybe that's it, right? I'm not saying about all Gypsies, right? And it'd be very difficult to say that. I'm just saying maybe this is what happens, right? So you have one culture and you have another culture, right? So in your, in uh, the state, the, this culture which is settled down and is stabilized and is for so many centuries, you have people who don't move at all, right? And you say that we've lived here all the time, yeah? And you look at the gypsies and they moved all the time, right? Yeah? And you have a person like Augusta Westland, uh, whatever name is, Augusta, who comes in from another place. Right? And with a lot of baggage of money, or at least gassing about a baggage of money, which other people in quote unquote polite British culture wouldn't do. But they would do it in other ways, right? Yeah? It's like saying, well, you know, I'm telling the servants to do all this, and the servants won't worry you, and they enough of servants to look after you, and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, we're talking about this person who sends up potatoes, right? Or sends up a salad, whatever that is. Right? So, that's the way of talking about your wealth and that's a sophisticated way of talking about your wealth. Okay? Or you don't say, well, I've got a car also and I've got a bigger car than you. Right? Now that's typically American. Right? Yeah, but Augusta Westland is already doing that. Right? Yeah, so it's called keeping up with the Joneses. That's the expression. Right? Yeah? So the idea is, if I've got a car, the other person says, I've got a better car. And Americans don't have a problem with that. They say, well, they have this even with dog's food, right? And they do that in all the advertisements. You'll say, my dog is better than your dog because it eats this and it doesn't eat that, right? Yeah, so that's that's a kind of very loud, just like Augusta, uh, Augusta, right? A very loud kind of comparison with what I have and you have, right? So when you're talking about English culture, we don't talk about what we have, right? Yeah? We show culture by the way we behave, right? And that largely is the idea that we have with a lot of people, right? Yeah? The people who have a lot of things, 
right? Uh, they don't they don't have to talk about it because they've already had it, right? Yeah. Uh, and the people who don't have it make a big whack about it, right? Yeah. And of course, in India, it's even worse because we're talking about education. A lot of people are first-generation learners, 